Chapter Four, Part Eleven of the Legends of the Jews, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. The Legends of the Jews, Volume Two, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Measure for Measure. God divided the ten punishments decreed for Egypt into four parts. Three of the plagues he committed to Aaron three to Moses, one to the two brothers together, and three he reserved for himself. Aaron was charged with those that proceeded from the earth and the water, the elements that are composed of more or less solid parts, from which are fashioned all the corporeal distinctive entities, while the three entrusted to Moses were those that proceeded from the air and the fire, the elements that are most prolific of life. The Lord is a man of war, and as a king of flesh and blood devises various stratagems against his enemy, so God attacked the Egyptians in various ways. He brought ten plagues down upon them. When a province rises up in rebellion, its sovereign lord first sends his army against it to surround it and cut off the water supply. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he brings noisemakers into the field against them. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he orders darts to be discharged against them. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he orders his legions to assault them. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he causes bloodshed and carnage among them. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he directs a stream of hot naphtha upon them. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he hurls projectiles at them from his ballastae. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he has scaling ladders set up against their walls. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he casts them into dungeons. If the people are contrite, well and good. If not, he slays their magnates. Thus did God proceed against the Egyptians. First he cut off their water supply by turning their rivers into blood. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he sent the noisy, croaking frogs into their entrails. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he brought lice against them, which pierced their flesh like darts. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he sent barbarian legions against them, mixed hordes of wild beasts. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he brought slaughter upon them, a very grievous pestilence. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he poured out naphtha over them, burning blains. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he caused his projectiles, the hail, to descend upon them. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he placed scaling ladders against the wall for the locusts, which climbed them like men of war. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he cast them into dungeon darkness. They refused to let the Israelites go, and he slew their magnates, their first-born sons. The plagues that God sent upon the Egyptians corresponded to the deeds they had perpetrated against the children of Israel. Because they forced the Israelites to draw water for them, and also hindered them from the use of the ritual baths, he changed their water into blood. Because they had said to the Israelites, Go and catch fish for us, he brought frogs up against them, making them to swarm in their kneading troughs and their bedchambers, and hop around croaking in their entrails. It was the severest of all the ten plagues. Because they had said to the Israelites, Go and sweep and clean our houses, our courtyards, and our streets, he changed the dust of the air into lice, so that the vermin lay piled up in heaps and ell high, 
and when the Egyptians put on fresh garments, they were at once infested with the insects. The fourth plague was an invasion of the land by hordes of all sorts of wild animals, lions, wolves, panthers, bears, and others. They overran the houses of the Egyptians, and when they closed their doors to keep them out, God caused a little animal to come forth from the ground, and it got in through the windows, and split open the doors, and made a way for the bears, panthers, lions, and wolves, which swarmed in and devoured the people down to the infants in their cradles. If an Egyptian entrusted his ten children to an Israelite to take a walk with them, a lion would come and snatch away one of the children, a bear would carry off the second, a serpent the third, and so on, and in the end the Israelite returned home alone. This plague was brought upon them because they were in the habit of bidding the Israelites go and catch wolves and lions for their circuses, and they sent them on such errands to make them take up their abode in distant deserts, where they would be separated from their wives and could not propagate their race. Then God brought a grievous murrain upon their cattle, because they had pressed the Israelites into their service as shepherds, and assigned remote pasturing places to them to keep them away from their wives. Therefore the murrain came, and carried off all the cattle in the flocks the Israelites were tending. The sixth plague was a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. This was the punishment of the Egyptians, because they would say to the children of Israel, Go and prepare a bath for us, unto the delight of our flesh and our bones. Therefore they were doomed to suffer with boils that inflamed their flesh, and on account of the itch they could not leave off scratching. While the Egyptians suffered thus, the children of Israel used their baths. Because they had sent the Israelites forth into the fields to plough and sow, hail was sent down upon them, and their trees and crops were destroyed. They had been in the habit of saying to the Israelites, Go forth, plant ye trees for us, and guard the fruit thereon. Therefore God brought the locusts into the Egyptian border, to eat the residue of that which was escaped, which remained unto them from the hail, for the teeth of the locust are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the jaw-teeth of a great lion. Because they would throw the Israelites into dungeons, God brought darkness upon them, the darkness of hell, so that they had to grope their way. He that sat could not rise up on his feet, and he that stood could not sit down. The infliction of darkness served another purpose. Among the Israelites there were many wicked men who refused to leave Egypt, and God determined to put them out of the way. But that the Egyptians might not say they had succumbed to the plague like themselves, God slew them under cover of the darkness, and in the darkness they were buried by their fellow Israelites, and the Egyptians knew nothing of what had happened. But the number of these wicked men had been very great, and the children of Israel spared to leave Egypt were but a small fraction of the original Israelitish population. The tenth plague was the slaying of the firstborn, and it came upon the Egyptians because of their intention to murder the men-children of the Israelites at their birth, and, finally, Pharaoh and his host were drowned in the Red Sea, because the Egyptians had caused the men-children of the Israelites to be exposed in the water. Each of the plagues inflicted upon Egypt had another parallel in the cruel treatment accorded to the Israelites. The first was a punishment for the arrogant words spoken by Pharaoh, My Nile River is mine own, and I have made it for myself. The plague of the frogs God brought down upon the Egyptians, because, he said, the frogs which sometimes inhabit the water shall take vengeance upon the Egyptians for having desired to destroy the nation destined to be the bearers of the Torah, and the Torah is likened unto water. 
God sent vermin upon them, saying, Let the lice made of the dust of the earth take vengeance upon the Egyptians, for having desired to destroy the nation whose seed is like unto the dust of the earth. Hordes of beasts, lions and wolves, and swarms of serpents came down upon them. Because, God said, these animals shall take vengeance upon the Egyptians, for having desired to destroy the nation that is likened unto lions, wolves, and serpents. A fatal pestilence was brought upon them, because, God said, death shall take vengeance upon the Egyptians, for having desired to destroy the nation that faces death for the glorification of the name of God. They were made to suffer with burning blames, because, God said, the boils coming from the ashes of the furnace shall take vengeance upon the Egyptians for having desired to destroy the nation whose ancestor Abraham walked into the fiery furnace for the glorification of the name of God. He made hail to descend upon them, because, he said, the white hail shall take vengeance upon the Egyptians for having desired to destroy a nation whose sins shall be white. The locusts came upon them, because, God said, the locusts, which are my great army, shall take vengeance upon the Egyptians for having desired to destroy the nation that is called my hosts. Darkness, said God, which is divided from the light, shall come and take vengeance upon the Egyptians for desiring to destroy the nation upon which shineth the light of the Lord, while gross darkness covers the other peoples. The tenth plague, the slaying of the firstborn, God inflicted, saying, I will take vengeance upon the Egyptians for having desired to destroy the nation that is my firstborn. As the night divided itself for Abraham, that his enemies might be vanquished, so I will pass through Egypt in the middle of the night. And as Abraham was proved by ten temptations, so I will send ten plagues upon Egypt, the enemy of his children. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. The Plagues Brought Through Aaron from the infliction of the first of the plagues until the passing of the last, after which the Egyptians yielded all that Moses and Aaron demanded, there elapsed a whole year, for twelve months is the term set by God for the expiation of sins. The deluge lasted one year, Job suffered one year, sinners must endure hell tortures for one year, and the judgment upon Gog at the end of time will be executed for the length of one year. Moses announced the first plague to Pharaoh one morning when the king was walking by the river's brink. This morning walk enabled him to practice a deception. He called himself a god, and pretended that he felt no human needs. To keep up the illusion, he would repair to the edge of the river every morning, and ease nature there while alone and unobserved. At such a time it was that Moses appeared before him, and called out to him, "'Is there a god that hath human needs?' Verily, I am no god, replied Pharaoh. I only pretend to be one before the Egyptians, who are such idiots one should consider them asses rather than human beings. Then Moses made known to him that God would turn the water into blood if he refused to let Israel go. In the warning we can discern the difference between God and man. When a mortal harbors the intention to do an injury to an enemy, he lies in wait for the moment when he can strike an unexpected blow. But God is outspoken. He warned Pharaoh and the Egyptians in public whenever a plague was about to descend, and each warning was repeated by Moses for a period of three weeks, although the plague itself endured but a single week. As Pharaoh would not lay the warning to heart, the plague announced by Moses was let loose upon him and his people. The waters were turned into blood. It is a well-known proverb, beat the idols, and the priests are in terror. 
God smote the river Nile, which the Egyptians worshipped as their god, in order to terrify Pharaoh and his people, and force them to do the divine will. To produce the plague, Aaron took his rod and stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. Moses had no part in performing the miracle, for God had said to him, The water that watched over thy safety when thou wast exposed in the Nile shall not suffer harm through thee. Aaron had scarcely executed the divine bidding, when all the water of Egypt became blood, even such as was kept in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. The very spittle of an Egyptian turned into blood no sooner had he ejected it from his mouth, and blood dripped also from the idols of the Egyptians. The transformation of the waters into blood was intended mainly as a punishment for the oppressors, but it was at the same time a source of profit for the oppressed. It gave the Israelites the opportunity of amassing great wealth. The Egyptians paid them large sums for their water, for if an Egyptian and an Israelite drew water from the same trough, the portion carried off by the Egyptian was bound to be useless. It turned into blood. To be sure, nothing helped the Egyptians in their distress, for though they drank water from the same cup as an Israelite, it became blood in their mouth. However, this plague did not impress Pharaoh as a punishment inflicted in the name of God, because with the help of the angels of destruction, the magicians of Egypt produced the same phenomenon of changing water into blood. Therefore he hearkened not unto the words of Moses. The next was the plague of the frogs, and again it was Aaron that performed the wonder. He stretched forth his hand with his rod over the rivers, and caused frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. Moses, whose life had been preserved by the water, was kept from poisoning his Saviour with the reptiles. At first only a single frog appeared, but he began to croak, summoning so many companions that the whole land of Egypt swarmed with them. Whenever an Egyptian took up his stand, frogs appeared, and in some mysterious way they were able to pierce the hardest of metals, and even the marble palaces of the Egyptian nobles afforded no protection against them. If a frog came close to them, the walls split asunder immediately. Make way, the frogs would call out to the stone, that I may do the will of my creator. And at once the marble showed a rift through which the frogs entered, and then they attacked the Egyptians bodily, and mutilated and overwhelmed them. In their ardor to fulfill the behest of God, the frogs cast themselves into the red-hot flames of the bake-ovens, and devoured the bread. Centuries later, the three holy children, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were ordered by Nebuchadnezzar to pay worship to his idols on penalty of death in the burning furnace, and they said, If the frogs, which were under no obligation to glorify the name of God, nevertheless threw themselves into the fire in order to execute the divine will concerning the punishment of the Egyptians, how much more should we be ready to expose our lives to the fire for the greater glory of his name? And the zealous frogs were not permitted to go unrewarded. While the others were destroyed from Pharaoh and the Egyptian houses, at the moment appointed as the last of the plague, God saved those in the bake-ovens alive. The fire had no power to do them the least harm. Now, although the Egyptian magicians also brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt through the help of demons, Pharaoh nevertheless declared himself ready to let the people go to sacrifice unto the Lord. The difference between this plague and the first was that water turned into blood had not caused him any personal inconvenience, while the swarms of frogs inflicted physical suffering, and he gave the promise to Moses to let Israel go in the hope of ridding himself of the pain he experienced, and Moses in turn promised to entreat God for him on the following day. It could not be done at once, because the seven days' term had not yet elapsed. The prayer offered by Moses in behalf of Pharaoh was granted, 
all the frogs perished, and their destruction was too swift for them to retire to the water. Consequently the whole land was filled with the stench from the decaying frogs, for they had been so numerous that every man of the Egyptians gathered together four heaps of them. Although the frogs had filled all the marketplaces and stables and dwellings, they retreated before the Hebrews as if they had been able to distinguish between the two nations, and had known which of them it was proper to abuse, and which to treat with consideration. Besides sparing the Hebrews in the land of Egypt, the frogs kept within the limits of the land, in no wise trenching upon the territory of the neighboring nations. Indeed, they were the means of settling peaceably an old boundary dispute between Egypt and Ethiopia. Wherever they appeared, so far extended the Egyptian domain. All beyond their line belonged to Ethiopia. Pharaoh was like the wicked that cry to God in their distress, and when their fortunes prosper, slide back into their old impious ways. No sooner had the frogs departed from him, his houses, his servants, and his people, than he hardened his heart again, and refused to let Israel go. Thereupon God sent the plague of the lice, the last of those brought upon Egypt through the mediation of Aaron. Moses could have no part in it. For, said God, the earth that afforded thee protection when she permitted thee to hide the slain Egyptian shall not suffer through thine hand. The Egyptian magicians, having boasted that they were able to produce the first two plagues, an empty boast it was, for they did not bring them about with their enchantments, but only because Moses willed them to do it, God put them to shame with the third plague. They tried in vain to imitate it. The demons could not aid them, for their power is limited to the production of things larger than a barley grain, and lice are smaller. The magicians had to admit, this is the finger of God. Their failure put an end once for all to their attempts to do as Moses did. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and God spake to Moses, saying, This wicked fellow remains hard of heart, in spite of the three plagues. The fourth shall be much worse than those which have preceded it. Go to him, therefore, and warn him. It would be well for him to let my people go, that the plague come not upon him. End of chapter 4, part 11